0: Hey, thanks so much for joining us. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. And uh, before we jump in, let me give you two things. Number one, again, it's never too late to jump in on this emphasis, the year of the Bible. There's so many free resources for you. Just go to the website, uh, biltmorechurch.com, backslash Bible, and you can see everything from uh, uh, listening apps to uh, Jesus Storybook Bible to reading plans. Keep the emails coming as well and the the notes coming about what God's doing in your life through this journey. But jump on. Wherever you are, uh, whether you're here in western North Carolina, whether you're somewhere else in the states or overseas or wherever, uh, jump in there. I mean, we want to have the relationship with the Bible that Jesus had with the relationship with the Bible. He loved it, he quoted it, he memorized it, he taught it, all of those things, and we want to do the same thing. All right, and then secondly, hey, just a little uh, heads up for next week. Uh, next week, we're actually going to be uh, in uh, Exodus still. We're going to look at one of the most uh, foundational events in all of the Old Testament, and we're going to also celebrate the Lord's Supper. So whether you're on site or online, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. If you are not comfortable yet coming back in person, just we'll, you'll see some Post this week that'll show some ways you can prepare for the Lord's Supper. And if you are uh, going to go on site, just realize we'll still do that in a touchless way, a touchless environment uh, for safety. But I would encourage you strongly to go ahead, even right now, and RSVP. You can go on and RSVP. They're open now for next Sunday's services, and uh, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, together. All right. And uh, hey, one thing, and, and the West Asheville campus is now uh, regathering. It's now open. And so it's a great facility that is just now open. And so that's going to be an option, by the way, for RSVP. A great facility. It used to be a grocery store. And so I think the music is somewhere where the bread section was and the children's area is where the fruit section was. But it's a great, great place to go. So if you're in that West Asheville area, Candler area, Inca area, any of that area over there, I mean, RSVP for that campus, you will be glad that you did. All right. One of the best moments in the life of a Christ follower is when you understand that God has a plan for your life, that God has a specific plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, the Bible says, where God says, you know what? I know that the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you. I've got a plan for your life. And when you look at that in the Bible, it typically breaks down into about three different categories. All right. Category number one is what God does for you. What God has done for you. That's the gospel that you know what? God has sent his son to die for you, and you embrace him by faith. Then God adopts you into his family. He forgives your sin. He puts to your account God's righteousness, what he wants to do for you. And man, people love that. God, bring it on. Bring it on. Here's a target on my back. Make sure you don't miss. Bring all the stuff you want to do for me. Bring that together. Second category is what God wants to do in you. In you is uh, people are like, well, I like that. I like for me a little better. But in you, hypothetically, I guess God wants to change me. And he does. He wants to forgive us, adopt us, all those great things. But he also wants to change us, shape our character. And again, people are like, well, I like that. I guess there's some things that God would want to change in me. But the third category, the category that oftentimes Christ followers are, they're they're not sure how to even take, and they're oftentimes insecure about how to embrace it, is, is it's what God wants to do through you. God not only wants to impact you, God wants to impact other people through you. He wants to use you and what God has done in your life to impact those people around you, in your family, in your neighborhood, at your work, in your school. And oftentimes Christians have a hard time believing that. And they often are like, well, maybe you, because you're a preacher, or maybe, you know, Julia or, or Caleb or Logan, because they've got these upfront gifts and I, I can see how God has a plan for them. But one of the main reasons that Christ followers don't get on that program is what we're gonna see in our text today. And that is what we're just gonna call the universal experience of insecurity, of just insecurity. You're gonna see in the text today, it's that voice that says this phrase. It says, you know what? I am not something enough. I am not skilled enough. I am not a good speaker enough. I am not a good leader enough. I am not a good student enough that's insecurity. I am not something enough. It's the gap between who you are and who you think you need to be. And we all, we all struggle with this, including me. I and mean, I struggle with this. I struggle with this just as a leader in this church, as I try to lead this church. Not just through the pandemic, as crazy as, as this has been. But also I saw where we got named last year the 39th largest church in the country. And that scares me to death. It's like, man... I'm not sure I can actually lead this church where it needs to go. Uh, people are like, "Well, you get nervous when you uh, you get nervous when you preach," and I'm like, "I always get nervous. I can't tell you, not to be rude or crude, but I can't tell you how many times I just go to the bathroom every Sunday morning based on based on nerves. Uh, maybe it's that sense of you've just embarked on some new phase of life. Maybe you're a Maybe you're, you know, you're a new mom. Maybe you've got an assignment in your career. Maybe you're going into retirement, and you're like, I'm not sure I have what it takes to succeed in this chapter of my life. I mean, social media and Instagram and Twitter have just made this even harder. I mean, every time you look on there, there's always, no matter what you do, there's always somebody that's going to do it bigger and better. All right, we got Valentine's Day coming up, and uh, I would encourage you, do not look on Instagram around Valentine's because you'll think whatever you're doing is pretty good. Hey, I got roses and I took my wife out to her favorite restaurant. And then you'll look on there and some dude took his wife to Hawaii and got her a pony or something like that. And you're like, I am just, that's just not enough. And so we struggle with insecurity. Everybody struggles with insecurity. And a guy named Moses in the Bible definitely struggled with insecurity. And here's what we're gonna see is because of Moses's insecurity, he made excuses for God's call on his life. And instead of making a difference, he made excuses. And what we see in Exodus chapter three is the story. So let me kind of walk through it with you. There's about 14 verses, so we're going to kind of walk through them and uh, then we're going to take a couple of ways on how do we con- how do we have a big God and small me? So the word now here is emphasized for me because we're going to go back to look at the context for just a minute. But it says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. Let me stop there for just a second. When you see the word now, that's looking back at chapter 1 and 2. And so unless, you know, in case you didn't grow up in church, in case you're not real familiar with what chapter 1 and 2 are, in a nutshell, here's what it is. is it, chapter 1 and 2 talks about how Moses was born during the height of the Egyptian uh, power. I mean, they were supreme. They were ruling they ruling a ton of people, including the Hebrews, the Israelites. And the Israelites began to grow in population so much that the Pharaoh got very threatened about how much they were growing. And he tried a number of different ways to kind of control that. But finally what he did is he said, you know what? If a girl is born, leave her alone. If a guy, if a baby, if a male child is born, you strike him dead. And Moses' mom and uh, God sovereignly took Moses' mom, protected Moses as he was born during that time in an amazing, amazing part of God's plan. He ended up where Moses ends up being taken in by Pharaoh's daughter and for 40 years he gets raised in Pharaoh's household. He understands the culture, he understands the education, he's got the money, he's got all of that. And then at about 40 years of age, and he knows he's a Jew, he knows he's an Israelite, he knows he's a Hebrew. He'd heard the stories and he goes out at 40 years of age and he sees two Israelites, uh, uh, they're, they're sitting there and they're getting beat by an Egyptian. Egyptian guy is beating the Israelites Moses looks around, doesn't see anybody, and he kills the Egyptian who is beating on the Israelite. The next day he shows up, thinking that nobody even knew it, but the next day he shows up, two Israelites are fighting. He's like, hey, hey, stop that. And they look at him and they're like, who are you? Who died and made you king? Who are you to tell us what to do? And you killed a guy yesterday, and that scares Moses. Pharaoh finds out he wants to kill Moses, so Moses leaves. He just runs. And he goes out in the desert. He ends up marrying an African woman and working for her father for the next, for many, many decades, tending sheep in the middle of nowhere. And so here's where the story goes. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord actually should be an angel who was the Lord, all right? An angel who was the Lord. This is a theophany. God shows up on the scene. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. This is the very famous scene of just the burning bush when God shows up to Moses. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him from him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. It's good. God knows Moses' name. God knows your name as well. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, it would have been easy for initially for most like, holy ground. I've been traipsing around this place for 40 years it's just the same old dirt, but because God's there, it's holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's, that's basically his history. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their suffering. Which, by the way, that actually might be the word that God has for some of you. I have heard your cry. I have seen your suffering. The Bible said he hides your tears in a bottle. And so while we're looking at a different aspect of this, that's, you're going through that. You're like, does God care? And this is God's word for you. It's like, you know what? I do care. I have heard. I do see. I will deliver. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out from that land to a good and a broad land. A couple more verses and we'll, uh, we'll take a break for a second a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I. and this is God's plan for Moses' life. God's got a plan for your life. He has a plan for Moses' life. And he's like, Moses, here's the plan for your life. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. In other words, Moses, I have a great plan for you. I got a big job for you. You're going to move two million Jews out of Egypt into the promised land. And then what happens next is the first of five excuses that Moses says, you know what? I'm not against the plan, I'm just against the HR. I'm not against what you say, I'm just against who you say you're going to use to do it. And so he makes an excuse. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, loved one, this is an echo that apparently had been echoing in his soul for decades Uh, who am I? That is what the two Israelites had said to him. It's like, who are you? Who are you to bring us out? And uh, why should we follow you? Uh, What kind of leader are you? You, And they're going to say, hey, aren't you the guy that murdered that guy a few years ago? You're certainly not Mr. Perfect. And let me just take a little sidebar here. This is a classic, small little picture also just of male insecurity in particular, right? Male insecurity. Uh, I just get you on insight if you have the privilege of being married uh, this is uh, this is basically the down deep fear that almost every man has do I have what it takes do I have what it takes we see this is why a lot of us we play golf or we hunt and the question is do I have do I have what it takes ladies this is why if you're a wife this is why God always emphasized, husbands love your wives, but so many times it's like, wives respect your husband, cheer your husband. Why? Because bottom line is he knows the way that man is, the way that males are. We are down deep. We're still kind of like that seventh grade boy asking, do I, do I have what it takes? It's why when Lori's like, hey, here's a jar. I can't get this jar open. Can you open it for me? And I'm like, pop. And I'm like, when that jar pops open, it's like, I am up to the task. So whatever that is, what you see in Moses, Moses is like, who am I to do this? And instead of pumping up his flesh, here is what God tells Moses in verse 12. And he said, but I will be with you. And this will be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, be aware how God does not deal with Moses' insecurity. He doesn't deal with his insecurity the way we usually do that. He doesn't reinforce Moses with these positive thoughts or Moses, you know, find the Moses on the inside of you. He doesn't lead in a cheer, Moses, Moses, he's our man. If Moses can't do it, nobody can. He doesn't do that at all. What he says is, Moses, it's really not about you, all right? It's not about you. It's about me and I will be with you. Two more verses, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Again, this is early on in the story of God. What is his name? What shall I say to them? That's a good question. And then verse 14. This is one of the, um, those seminal moments in the Old Testament this is actually in some form or fashion, this verse is actually used, or this name, this verb is used over 6,500 times in the Old Testament alone. And God said to Moses, and this is where we're gonna camp out. God said to Moses, Moses, like, who are you? And I can't do this. So he brings all that to God, and here's God's answer to him. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. People are like, what does that mean? Because that sounds kind of awkward. What does, I, I am that I am. What does that even mean? It sounds like bad English. It means that God exists. It means that he's saying, God, I am the God of yesterday and today and tomorrow. I'm the God who always has been. I am the God who is present right now with you, Moses. And I'm the God who will be with you in the future. And as I looked at this, what it means by default is, if God is saying, I am that I am, I am all of those things by default. What it also means is if God is I am, that means I am not I am. And so for just thought purposes today, let's let's try to get a hold of this in two different ways. First one would be this: is let me enjoy God's bigness. This is something to enjoy. If we properly understand God, it's like, who am I? Who am I? You can't understand who you are until you understand who God is. Let me say it again. You can't understand who you are because who am I is the question. Who am I? Well, I'm a professional or I'm who my parents I am. Bottom line is you are who God says you are. And you can't understand who you are until you understand who God is. And God says, I am that I am. And God's name right here is not necessarily, it's kind of not, really not a name as much as it is, it's really a verb. In the Hebrew language, which is the language of the Old Testament, the word for I am is, is like a karate chop. It's hayah. All right, that's, that's the name for it. It's the idea of the breath of God. It's the, the fact that God stepped out on the front porch of heaven and spoke everything into being. It's the creator God. It's the all-powerful God. It's the life-giving God. He says, that's who I am. And I am actually is a translation of the verb to be unchanging, constant, always present. Our terms, he's like Moses I am running the show, I am the sustainer of your life, I am not intimidated by Pharaoh, and I am certainly not limited by your inabilities, which parenthetically, Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, took this and put a lot of I am statements to himself. A lot of people are like, Jesus never claimed to be God, which is baloney, all right? There's a number of times when you look at the context of passages, Jesus definitely did, and the I am statements are one of those. And so there's many of them, there's seven just in the book of John, but he's like, you know what? To those that are in darkness, I am the light, To those that need a fresh start, like I'm not sure I can start over. I mean, I got too much stuff in my past. He's like, I am the door. To those that are confused and need direction and, man, I'm just not sure I know where I'm supposed to go. He's like, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. To that guy, that lady that's like, there's got to be more to life than this. I'm just going around the cul-de-sac of normality and it's got to be more than just getting a job and having a house and then coming home and doing the same thing. He's like, you know what? I, You're hungry, I am the bread of life. So Jesus takes that and applies that to himself. But Going back to Moses, God doesn't deal with Moses' insecurities, and he's not going to deal with your insecurities by teaching you about yourself. And he's not going to deal with Moses' insecurity by teaching Moses about Moses. Now, there is a part for that, and you're going to see that in the story of Moses. There is a part where he goes back and deals with Moses' insecurities by talking about how he had sovereignly brought Moses in this unique path for this unique time. But it's really like... uh, Moses, uh, why don't you why don't you go to work with me today? Some of you got the privilege of maybe going to work when you were a kid with your mom or your dad. And if you go to work when you're like a six-year-old and you go to work with mom, you go to work with dad. It's not because dad needs you. It's not because mom needs you. As a matter of fact, you take a six-year-old to work; they actually cause you more trouble and more work but you want them to be involved. You've invited them into the process. You've invited them into your story. It's like, hey, go over here and shuffle paper. Go over here and do this stuff with these paper clips. In the same way, he doesn't need Moses and he certainly doesn't need us, but he is inviting Moses and he invites us into the story. And Moses is like, you know, but God, I'm not whatever enough, smart enough, good speaker enough, skilled enough. And what God is telling Moses and what God tells us is, listen, I have enough of all those things for both of us. Here's another little uh, part of this. You see throughout Scripture that God oftentimes bypasses the person that thinks that they're like the first-round draft choice. He will oftentimes bypass the person that's like, man, I'm it. God would be lucky to have me on his team. Now we don't say that, but we're just like, you know what? Of course God chose me. Why God why would God not choose me? And what you see is God takes great delight in taking the tenth round draft choice, the undrafted free agent, and putting them on his team. Paul would say it this way in First Corinthians one, he says, but God would choose the foolish in the world to shame the wise. God is going to choose the weak to shame the strong. And part of the reason is is God's not sending Moses to Egypt so the people would see how awesome Moses is. God is sending Moses to Egypt because of how awesome God is. And so if you're here and you are like super gifted and you have a super high IQ and you're like homecoming queen and you're like Mr. Athlete, Mr. School Name, and you've got all these gifts, I've got some good news for you. God can still use you. He can still use you. It's just gonna be a lot harder. It's going to be a lot more difficult because he's got to overcome that whole idea of, of course, God would use me. Because the Bible's message is not about your, whatever you want to call it, self-actualization. That's not what the Bible is about. The Bible's about God and what God does for us and then God, what God wants to do through us. And the way we start that is to enjoy the fact that God is other. He is I am, but then i got to realize I am not, which I'll just put it this way, is embrace your smallness. I, I want a big God and a small me. I want to conquer these senses of, man, I don't want to make any excuses. I want to make a difference. And part of it is like, I want to enjoy the fact that God is so big and He says I will be with you, but I've got to embrace the fact that I am small. Because we all carry around those insecurities, feelings of inadequacy. So please hear me. You don't bridge the gap between, we don't bridge the gap between who I am and what I need to be. We don't bridge that by flexing, pushing ourselves up, saying, this is how awesome I'm going to be. Because, again, God doesn't need us. If you don't think that, here's the way uh, I already put one time. Just take a glass of water, fill it up with water, put your finger in it. And then when you pull your finger out, and then how how long does it take that water to come back over? I mean, just like that. That's how much God actually needs us. Again, God's going to do some amazing stuff with Moses. When you look at these first five books of the Bible, he's going to do some amazing stuff in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He is going to do that. He's going to do some amazing stuff. But it's not because Moses is awesome. Moses got a ton of character flaws just like we do. And so uh, when you look at it, let's let's be blunt. Uh, We are, you are, I am. We are so weak, we cannot even guarantee that we'll be around tomorrow. I mean, the strongest of us, is one heartbeat away from dying and being off this scene. The half-brother of Jesus, James, he says, we are like a wisp of smoke. We're like a vapor. It's like it comes out and boom, then it's gone. We're so powerless, Jesus says, apart from me, we can do nothing. We are so wicked that he had to die to save us. We are so evil that the book of Romans says literally there is nothing good that dwells in your flesh. That anything good that is isn't work in you is because God's at work in you both to will and to do this for his good pleasure. Like, well, man, that's, that's, why, that's why I come to Biltmore Church, to get that uplifting, that uplifting word about my smallness and about my wickedness and about my evilness and about my weakness. That's why I do that. And sometimes when we talk about this, uh, people are like, you're making me feel small. You're making me feel really, really bad. You're making me feel really, really, really small. And to be correct, I'm not trying to make you feel small. I'm telling you that you are small, and so am I. We are small, and we wanna embrace the fact that we are small. Now, this this is not to say we don't wanna excel. It's not the fact that we don't wanna, you know, have a huge ambition for God. Doesn't mean that you don't try to be the actual best you can be. Doesn't mean you don't try to develop. Doesn't mean that you don't have certain things that God has put in your life uniquely for God to use you. Of course he has. I mean, you just look at, you know, you look at Moses. I mean, for 40 years, God had Moses lead sheep in the wilderness that God wanted Israel to escape through. So what happened? Moses knows the terrain, he knows all the passes, he knows all the watering holes. Couple that with 40 years in Pharaoh's household, he knows all the law, he knows all the legal stuff, he knows all of Pharaoh's insecurities, he knows all of that stuff. So of course he's uniquely experienced some things that helped him in God's call for his life, just like, just like you have. But when we enjoy the bigness of God and embrace our smallness, it does not deflate us. We understand it properly, it doesn't reduce us to purposelessness. The opposite actually takes place. We realize, you know what? We were created in his image. We were pursued in our rebellion. We were shown love and mercy at the cross of Jesus. We were given the righteousness of Christ that in some way, all the promises that God has made us are yes and amen in Jesus. And when I realize he is the I am and I am the I am not, then I can say things like, I am known by name. I am redeemed and purchased. I am invited into his story. I am adopted by the creator of the universe. I am not condemned. I am a citizen of heaven. I am loved. I am made for the glory of God. I am worth the gift of his life. And so the whole point is conquering insecurity, conquering all this with this confidence, comes less from looking at oneself as opposed to looking at the size of the one who is calling you why because we were bottom line as we were made to find our identity and our security in the God who made us and the God who saved us the God who redeemed us and also the God who calls us and when we try to find it in other ways it is just does not work at all and so what happens here is is Moses realizes that um he doesn't realize it, he makes some excuses and um let me just be honest uh A lot of us have made some excuses about why we're not following God's calling in our life. Moses made five, five excuses. I'm not this, I'm not that. I can't do this. I don't speak well. And God has a call on your life. I know I don't know all of you, but God has a call on your life. And you can either make an excuse or you can make a difference. You can't do both. But I promise you're going to get good at one or the other. You're going to get great at one or the other. When you make excuses, what it's based on, it's based on fear that bottom line is based on our shortcomings. I can't do this and I'm not up to the task. And so we make excuses or we keep our eye on God's faithfulness and we can actually make a difference. So there's a burning bush in your life, which is just God speaking to you. And sometimes it's big and sometimes it's small could be something big, like we looked at last week. We're planting a church in Myrtle Beach, and God might say something big to you. It's like, all right, I don't want you to quit your job. I want you to move to the beach, and I want you to help plant this church in Myrtle Beach or in Conway, South Carolina, right there by Coastal Carolina. That's a big, big thing. Uh, some of us, he's not saying, I want you to move to Myrtle Beach. He's saying, I want you to go home. I want you to go to your job. I want you to be on mission there. Other people, it's like, I want you to adopt. He's put that on your heart, and you got a thousand reasons why you can't. Other people, I want you to be involved in the foster care ministry. You're trying to make a huge difference in Western North Carolina in the foster care crisis. All right? Just don't be fearful. Just look at my faithfulness. I know you can't, but I can. Others of you, a big one for Christians, you just look statistically, it's, it's finances. I can't, I can't, I can't, and it's based on fear versus looking at God's faithfulness. Even getting in this book right here, you're like, uh, I'm not sure I can read the Bible to my kids. That's a big deal. It's been great to hear the stories, but I know there's hundreds, if not thousands of parents watching right now. And you're like, I want to read the Bible. I want to read the Bible to my kids. I want to read the Jesus storybook Bible to my kids, but they know that I know that they know that I'm not all that much, that I oftentimes fail to do what God has told me to do. And what are they going to think? And the whole point is that's based on your fear, not on God's faithfulness. So you just do it. You do it humbly. You do it contritely. And you can just go on and on. Baptism. All right, some of you are like, you know what, I'm scared. I'm scared to get baptized. I'm scared of what people think. And God's like, listen, I am, you're not. Follow me, all right? Don't make excuses, all right? Don't make excuses. Your baptism can make a difference. And so again, some of you are like, that's God's word for you. Just follow through in baptism. I saved you. Let people know. Others of you, it's simply like get connected during this crazy pandemic and things are scattered. It's just you taking the time to say, I want to be connected. I want to know about a connect group. You're like, I tried it one time, and, and they weren't what I thought they would be. Well, listen, just because they weren't what you thought doesn't mean you quit the whole thing. Doesn't mean you say, I'm not, involved. I'm not going to get connected. All right, if you had one bad meal, you didn't say, well, I'm going to quit food altogether. I just don't want food anymore. No, that's crazy. Just try another one. Let us help you. So, what is God calling you? What is God calling you to do? What's He calling you to do? You're either going to look at it with fear based on your shortcomings and you're going to make excuses, or you're going to look at it through the lens of God's faithfulness and we're going to make a difference. And you and I are going to get great at one of those. Father, I want to pray for uh, folks that are listening that you would speak to parents, you would speak to bosses, you would speak to employees, you would speak to pastors, you would speak to missionaries uh, and that our security would be found, our identity would be found and how awesome you are and that we would embrace the, uh, our smallness and we would enjoy your bigness and we would see all our problems, all our challenges, but especially the call you have on our life. We would see that through the lens of the size of how big our God is. And we prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.